Amen. Praise him. Praise him. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high. Your glory shaking up the earth and skies. Revival. We want to feel your kingdom here. Here. Not over there, but here, God. Revival. God, come like a rushing wind. Spirit, come like never before. Come like a rushing wind. Fill this place with your presence. Fill this place with your glory, God. We need you as we've never needed you before. If we've ever needed you before, God, certainly we need you now. And we need you like never before. Come like a rushing wind. Come like never before. And God, when you do this, when you show up, when you open our eyes, we'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the praise because you alone are worthy. You're worthy, God. You're worthy, God. God, even as we enter into this time of your word, I pray, God, that you would hide me behind your cross and that only you would speak and that anything that we hear would be your word. Have your way in me. Have your way in your people. May we all be strengthened and encouraged and better enabled to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So glad to be here. So, so glad to be here. So grateful to um, all the leadership that makes up uh, the Northland Elder Board and uh, certainly to Dr. Hunter and allowing me to be here. I am so pleased to be here with you all this morning. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Yes, indeed. Certainly worthy, certainly worthy of, of that, and we're, we're grateful to be, be here this morning. So I live in a decent neighborhood. I like, I like my neighborhood. I live in English Estates over in Maitland, and uh, great neighborhood, unincorporated Seminole County. Awesome. Love it. We don't have a very strict homeowners association. Good thing because there are times my grass looks like we don't have a very strict homeowner association. There are times my grass looks like it's four inches taller than it ever should be. And on those, during those times, I'm ashamed. I feel, I feel bad about it, I, I really do. But Monday through Friday, it's not getting done. Saturday morning comes, Saturday morning comes, I'm like, okay, great. Got an opportunity to make my yard look like I care. And so, get up in the morning, I go out to the shed, I pull out the lawnmower, get it all squared away, pull the ripcord, and nothing happens. Oh, man. <laughs> trying to be productive. I'm trying to be good. Trying to look like a neighbor who cares about the, present, the, the presentation of their home. Pull the ripcord, nothing happens. Pull the rip, I press the little bubbly thing to make sure it's primed. Nothing happens. And I know what you're thinking. What are you thinking? 
gas. Ah, you're wrong. It's not gas. I checked the gas. I opened the lid. It's full of gas. <laughs> I flooded it. I thought the same thing, but I had just started trying to get it started. I didn't flood it. It's full of gas. Pull the ripcord and nothing is happening. And man, am I frustrated. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Oh. Now, I have training as a mechanical engineer. You would think someone with my training would be able to figure out something mechanical. Yeah, don't, don't buy into that. So I have a mechanical engineering mind, but not always a mechanical engineering life. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, neither here nor there. Let's not go there. So after much investigation and YouTubing and Googling, <laughs> it was my spark plug. Ah, oh, man, who knew that lawnmower engines, the mechanical engineer should know this, who knew that lawnmower engines had spark plugs? They do. And without a spark plug that works, you're not going anywhere. You know, and often in our spiritual lives, in mine at least, I feel that kind of way. I feel like I've got a tank full of gas. I have scriptures memorized. I've heard a thousand sermons. I've done the Bible studies. I've got a gas tank that's full, but I have no vision. I can't figure out what God is saying. I can't figure out what God is doing. I can't figure out what God is up to. And no matter how hard I pull the ripcord, and expect that this gas will cause me to go and cause me to be able to see and understand, I'm still stuck because I'm missing something. I have the gasoline, but the lawnmower won't go. I have the scripture. I have the understanding, but I don't get where this thing is supposed to go. What's the point? The question is, what do we do about this? What do we do about Fixing this problem of not having vision, not understanding what God is up to in our lives. How do we begin to make sense of what he's doing and how he's doing it? For the last few weeks, we've been in this series called On the Road. And it's taken out of the 24th chapter of Luke. And in this chapter over the last few weeks, we've been looking at these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're discouraged and disillusioned. And on the way to Emmaus, Jesus joins them, and they don't realize it's Jesus. Jesus joins them and asks them, what's going on? What are you talking about? And they say, are you the only one around here that doesn't know what's going on? The things that have happened? What things? And Jesus gives them an opportunity to express how they've been processing what's going on, to express their feelings, to process it all the way through, to lay out everything that's happened. And then Jesus corrects them and says, you foolish ones, didn't you know that the Christ had to suffer these things? Don't you know from all you've learned, all the scripture that you've been taught as a child, you don't understand, you don't get it? Jesus is on the road teaching them, and still, and still they don't get it. So let me pause for a moment and say to those of us in the room who have ever had the experience of being frustrated and trying to teach, if you've ever been frustrated in, time, in trying to teach, you're in good company. Jesus was frustrated trying to teach. 
because these disciples still did not get it. They're walking along, and that brings us to this text for this morning. So the, the, the question is, again, if they still lack vision, even after Jesus was teaching them on the road, what more needs to be done? Let me tell you, there are, in fact, two steps we're going to talk about today. The first step is in Luke 24, verses 28 through 29. And this is the step, and then I'll read the verse. The step is we must first invite Jesus into our everyday normal routines and relationships. Look at the passage. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. They're traveling along the road. They get to their exit, if you will. And Jesus indicates he's going to stay on the road and continue to go. And they say, no, no, no. You should stay. And he does. One of the things that Luke is doing here is he's presenting for us and helping us to recognize an ancient Near East hospitality custom. In the ancient Near East, so in this part of the world, in this time frame, this is kind of the dance that a host and a guest would do. The guest would not want to impose themselves and would indicate that they are going to not come into the home or the house where their their friend or the, the guest is going, where the host is going, I'm sorry. And that's what Jesus does here. And then they invite him, no, we want you to stay. This custom is actually reflected throughout Scripture, but one good example is Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Now, the context of this is the time frame of Abraham and Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is before the fire and brimstone story. It's right before that story. In Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, The two angels who had previously been to see Abram, or Abraham, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go your way. They said... No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So what we see on the road to Emmaus is typical hospitality. It's the typical custom of that day. The one who was the guest would indicate that don't need to host me. But then the host would say, no, 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 we want you to come. So Jesus acts as if he's going further, and they say, no, 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 we want you to come. But more than it being an ancient practice, it also teaches us something about Jesus. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This is Jesus speaking to the church in Laodicea. And to that church, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I was always taught growing up that Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anyone. And so Jesus here knocking on the door, get this, of a church. Jesus, the head of the church, is not forcing himself into the church. Should we be surprised then that he would respect our autonomy, that he would respect our free will, and he will not force himself on us. He has to be invited in. He has to be welcomed in. We have to ask him to come. And when we ask him to come, he's happy to join us. But we have to ask him. And we ask him to join us where? In our normal everyday routine things. Everyday life. There's nothing more routine and everyday than eating a meal. That is routine and every day. And they invite him to come and eat a meal. They didn't invite him, not that they wouldn't have, but they did not invite him to come with them to the synagogue or come with them to the temple or come to some big feast or a party. He's also welcome in those places. But they invite him to their home. They invite him to the table. They invite him where they're going to break bread together and be a community together and share relationship together. They invite him in to their relationship, to this place, this normal everyday routine place. Nothing more routine, nothing more everyday than eating a meal. And so we ought to invite him into our everyday routines. Nothing more routine than driving to work. Nothing more routine than going to Publix and picking up some groceries. We invite him into our everyday routines. Nothing more routine than sitting down to dinner with my family. Nothing more routine than doing my homework. Nothing more routine than working on my job. Nothing more routine than that. And that's where I invite him. I don't just leave the special occasions for him, but I invite him into my everyday life. Amen. And when I invite him into my everyday life, he is happy to join me. He won't turn down the invitation. Amen, somebody. I don't know about you, but I am pleased as a peach to know that when I invite Jesus in, he'll come. I've invited plenty of people to my home for various reasons. And sometimes they come and sometimes they don't. But with Jesus, if you invite him in, he will come. The king of the universe will come. The son of God will come. Like, get that. Do you understand? If you called up the president, or if you called up the governor, or if you called up the mayor, or if you called up the principal to your high school and said, I want you to come, they may or may not be there. And more than likely, they wouldn't. But if you invite the king of the universe to come and join you for a meal, he will show. Nothing more routine than eating a meal. And that's where they invite him. 
And so the question for us becomes, how do we practically invite him in? I mean, what is it that I need to do to invite him to come? The answer is a simple one, honestly. It's prayer. It's prayer. You've heard of this. You've heard of this whole talking to God. (laughs) Prayer is intentionally and deliberately inviting him into our daily lives. Prayer is not so much about giving him a report on how things are going, though you can do that. Prayer is really about saying, God, Jesus, Spirit, I want you to come in to my life. I want you to come into this aspect of my life. So when I pray to God about my coworker and the frustration I have in trying to work with them, when I pray to God about them, I'm not just praying about them. I'm praying about me and them and our relationship. And I'm saying, God, I need you to fix this. And God knows what we need. And more often than not, my experience has been, more often than not, he doesn't do anything to them. He fixes me. That my attitude is wrong. I don't have any patience. I don't have any grace. And God changes me. And the relationship gets better. Not because he fixed them, but because he fixed me. And that's what it looks like to invite him in. When I invite God into my my schoolwork, like, God, I just, I need this teacher to give me a break. She is so hard. Oh, my gosh. God hears our prayer, and he knows what we're asking. What we're saying is, I want to do better. He's like, right, and I'll help you do better. I'm going to carve out some time in your life for you to study. I'm going to carve out some time in your life for you to focus. I'm going to give your mind focus so you can understand what's being taught. And then you'll come to appreciate that teacher. You'll be like, she is awesome. I did not appreciate how good of a teacher she was. The problem was really me. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes the problem is the coworker. Sometimes, rarely, the problem is the teacher. Sometimes the problem is your parent or your child. Sometimes that is the issue. And God can work on them too. But when I invite him in, I'm saying, God, I'm not just telling you about them or about the problem, but I'm saying, God, I want you to participate in this thing. I want you to become part of it. My normal everyday life, one of the most significant prayers that we talk about in the context, obviously, of our Christian walk is what we call the sinner's prayer. And the sinner's prayer is a perfect picture of this. The sinner's prayer is not us telling God something he doesn't know. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. Yeah, God knows that. Like, you're not surprising him. You're not shocking him. Newsflash, God knows you're a sinner. I'm a sinner, and... I've been trying to do my life without you. Right, you have been. He knows that. What am I saying? What I'm saying is, I don't want to do my life without you. God, would you come and be part of my life? God, would you come and help me to walk the way you want me to walk? And that's why we pray in that prayer, 
I know that you sent your only begotten son and I believe that he died for me. Right. I believe that he's a substitute for me. Right. And God, I want you to be my Lord. I want to accept you as Savior. God, Amen. the prayer is about me changing, not about informing God. And I'm afraid that sometimes we treat prayer like it's informational for him. God, let me tell you how my day went. That's fine. You should. But just understand that he already knows how your day went. You can go a step further than that. And God, I want you to become part of my day tomorrow because I don't want another day like I had today. Not, I get to the end of tomorrow, I'm like, yeah, I had another one of those days. Invite him in to your routine, your daily, your daily time. And now, for some of us, the idea of praying, and you know, we, we preachers make it sound super simple. It's just talking to God. But some of us in the room know that it's often more difficult than just talking to God. It feels hard. So let me give you some recommendations, one, at least one recommendation, something you can do to improve your prayer life. Music, devotional songs are so powerful. Like the song we just sang, Spirit Break Out, Break Our Walls Down, Spirit Break Out, <laughs> Revival, we want to feel it. We want to see it. King Jesus come. These, these lyrics are prayers. They're crying out to God for his presence. And if we would make up in our minds that we're going to begin to fill our car on the way to work and on the way to Publix, and we're going to fill our home when we're just there, if we're going to fill our earbuds with these songs of devotion, these songs of praise that encourage us and welcome him in, we'll find ourselves saying the lyrics and singing the songs, and we will be praying because our heart will connect with that. And before we know it, we're praying to him more often than we ever thought possible. Like, man, I'm praying all the time because I'm often singing these songs. I'm singing these songs to him. Even when I didn't even realize I was singing the song, I catch myself, huh, I was singing again. I was singing the song to him. That's prayer. So that's the first step. The first step we must do is invite him in to our everyday life. The second step comes in verse 30. And the second step is to allow him to have his way. Look at the verse. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Something amazing just happened in this story. Jesus went from the invited guest to the host. Do you see that? Jesus was the guest. They invited him to come. But then they sit down at the table and he, he, Jesus, takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them. He's at their table, but he just became the host. This teaches us something about Jesus that we need to understand. Once you invite him in, he is not satisfied with being an inconsequential guest. Amen. Jesus will not be satisfied to be the inconsequential guest. 
You know, the person that you've invited in, but then you never notice. The person who sits in the corner quietly, just honored that you would even have them in the house. That person, that's not Jesus. You know, we often play that role. Like, I'm just so happy to be here. I don't want to be any trouble. Yeah, that's not Jesus. You invite Jesus in, and he'll become the host. He will do something. He will not just sit by and watch. I mean, when we look at Jesus throughout his ministry, when he went to dinner somewhere, he did something. Like, he started teaching. He started preaching. He started rebuking the owner of the house. (laughs) That's Jesus. That's what he does. When he shows up, when you invite him in, he will not just be the inconsequential guest. He took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. More than not being an inconsequential guest, he will have his way. Watch this. A few uh, months ago, or maybe several weeks ago, Pastor Vernon preached a wonderful sermon on Good Friday. Maybe you all, some, of, some of you all heard it. He preached on Good Friday and talked about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, if you will. And Jesus takes bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. Pastor Vernon made the point so well that that is Jesus' way. When it comes to Jesus and bread, that is what he does. If you look at him feeding 5,000, he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it. At the Lord's Supper, he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it. That's his way. And so here he is in this house in Emmaus, sitting at the table. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it. He has his way. What do we learn? What we learn is that we need to allow him to have his way. Not only do we invite him in, but once we've invited him in, we let him have his way. Don't feel the need to snatch the bread out of his hand. Say, oh, no, no, no. That's not the way we do it here. No. Allow him to have his way. Allow him to do what he wants to do. So what does that mean? What does that look like for us to let him have his way? Well, for every believer in the room, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And there are moments in your daily life when you are prompted by the Spirit, when you're urged by the Spirit to do something. Allowing the Lord to have his way is to yield to that urging. And that urging often is something that Jesus would do. What are the the things that Jesus does? What are the ways in which we see Jesus act in Scripture? Well, one of the ways is Seeking to know the heart of a person and not who they are defined by their circumstances. That's Jesus having his way. And if the spirit of God in us prompts us to do that, that's us letting him have his way. That's what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. He looked at the heart of this man and did not look at his circumstances. Didn't say, oh, he's a tax collector said, nope, there is a a child of God, a, a son of Abraham that needs the Lord, seeking to know the heart of a person and not who they are. 
as defined by their circumstances. Jesus' ways, looking beyond a person's faults and seeing their needs. Jesus with a woman caught in adultery. A woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. Clearly, she was guilty. But he looked beyond her faults and saw her needs. And if we are always quick to jump and judge and condemn, that's not Jesus' way. And the Spirit of God in us often prompts us and says, hold off on condemning. Just chill out and look beyond that and see what they need. That's Jesus' way. It's like Jesus when he stands up for the outcast and the oppressed, the woman who anointed his feet with oil and cried over him. And the people in the room said, if he knew the kind of woman she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus stood up for her and says, this woman has done more for me than you've done for me. He stood up for the outcast and the oppressed. Those are Jesus' ways. The last way of his that I'll mention, because there are so many, the last one that I'll mention is humility. Ouch, somebody. Humility, like Jesus was humble. Paul tells us in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So these are the things we need to do if we want to have vision. We need to invite Jesus in and then let him have his way. And there, in fact, are two benefits or two results that come from this. The first result is that our eyes are opened to catch a clear view of Jesus. Take a look at the passage. Verse 31 says, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. This is what I call theological disclosure. Theological disclosure. Those moments when you see God as he really is. Those moments when you understand something about him you never understood before. And through all of our disillusionments, through all of our disappointments, through all of our tears, through all of our doubts, pains, and fears, through it all, we see him for who he is and the way he is. And we understand him better. Their eyes were opened and they saw him. They got it. They saw him. We see him in these moments of theological disclosure. We see him and we know him. We know that he has us in the palm of his hands, that he's watching out for us. We see him and that changes everything. Everything is different once we know that we've seen him. 
I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life when I feel like I'm all alone and I feel like he's not there. But then I open my eyes or he opens my eyes and I see him. And I'm like, got it. I'm good. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of my circumstance, I see him. And when I see him and that he's there before me, everything is right. Everything changes. And just like these disciples, my experience has been that these moments are elusive and fleeting. The text said that he vanished, that they saw him and he vanished. What? He vanished. But if I think about it, and I suspect if you think about it, our experiences are similar. There are moments when I catch a glimpse of him and a glimpse, glimpse of his purpose, a glimpse of his plan, and it is crystal clear. And then about as quickly as I got it, <laughs> it's gone. It's like sand running through my fingers. I'm like, oh, I saw him. But if someone asked me to describe it, I'm like, ah, can't quite put my finger on it. But I know that I know that I know that I saw him and it changes everything. They might be fleeting. They might not last long. But when someone asks me, how can you be so confident? How can you be so calm? How can you be so assured and certain? And I can just say, I just know that I saw him. I know that 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 I saw him. And everything is different. And one thing I've learned is that these times don't have to be long to be life-changing. Just a moment with him, a moment of seeing his face is enough to change my life forever. And so I see him. The second benefit of inviting him in and allowing him to have his way, the second benefit is that I've come to understand the significance of his word. That is to say that scripture becomes clear to me. Look at the next verse, verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Now notice their words. They said, did not our hearts burn within us? When? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. Where are they right now when they're saying this? In the house. What just happened? He broke bread. They don't say, did not our hearts burn within us while he, t while he broke the bread, or while he blessed the bread, or while he gave us the bread. No. They say, did not our hearts burn back when we were on the road with him and he was opening the scriptures? What am I saying? I'm saying to you that simply having, <laughs> simply having his way wasn't what caused our hearts to burn. It'd be like having a spark plug with no gas. See, some of us want to just focus on the gasoline and forget the spark plug. In other words, I want to go to every Bible study. 
gonna read every Beth Moore book I can get my hands on. I'm gonna go to every sermon, every revival. I'm gonna hear a million sermons. I'm gonna read a hundred books, but I'm not gonna invite him to have his way in my life. And I'm saying, you're not going anywhere and you won't have vision. And then others of us are like, I'm just gonna let him, I'm just gonna let him have his way, but I've got no scripture in me. Well, how do you even know what his way is without that? And so I'm just going to be like Jesus, but I'm not going to know any of his word. I'm not going to have any scripture in me. You're not going anywhere either. They said, did not our hearts burn when he did these things on the road, talked to us and gave us the scriptures, opened the scriptures. Let me try to explain it like this and, and then I'll sit down. <laughs> There is a literary technique that Luke uses in this passage called anaurosis. 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 There it is. Anaurosis. Yes! I tried to say it last night. I couldn't. Anaurosis. Anaurosis is the point in the plot or the story at which the main character recognizes his or her or some other character's true identity or discovers the true nature of his or her own situation. It's the point of a story when this kind of thing happens. Now, I'm about to spoil a bunch of movies for you. So if I mention a movie and you haven't seen it and you're going to see it, then just put your fingers in your ears and la, 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 la. Okay, spoiler alert. I didn't do that last night, so people walked out kind of, whatever. All right. The good news is none of these movies have come out in the last six months, I don't think. All right. So has anybody seen Planet of the Apes? The movie Planet of the Apes? All right. In the movie Planet of the Apes, Anarissus is like at the end when Colonel George Taylor sees the top of the Statue of Liberty and realizes that this alien planet he's been on all this time is in fact Earth. That's Anarissus. Has anybody seen Empire Strikes Back? Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. It's like toward the end of the movie when Luke learns that Darth Vader is his father. That's Anarissus. Has anyone seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Great movie. It's like at the end of the movie when Malcolm Crow, the guy who's been talking to the little kid, when he realizes that he himself is dead. Anarissus. Has anyone seen Moana? Moana? All right. It's like toward the end of the movie when Moana realizes that the fire monster Taka is in fact a heartbroken Tafiti. That's anarissus. And these moments of anarissus, at this point in the story, everything that didn't make sense now makes sense. As a matter of fact, you start thinking, you're like, oh. That's why that happened. Or you're like, I'm going to watch the movie again. And I watch it the second time knowing the end. And then everything that happens makes sense. Like in the sixth sense, you're like, oh, that's why no one ever talked to him other than the little boy. That's why no one ever looked at him. Oh, now I get it. It all makes sense. That's anarissus. That's what happens for these disciples as they're sitting at the table and Jesus has his way and their eyes are opened and everything now makes sense. 
all of the scriptures he taught them on the road now make sense. What I'm saying to us is that there are points in our lives when we witness God have his way, when a relationship that I'm in is intruded upon, if you will, by God, and he changes something in the relationship, and I realize, oh, my marriage can be saved. It's when I'm sitting with my child who I think is lost, and God shows me his way, and I'm like, oh, God, you've been doing this for a reason. You've been doing this for a purpose. It all makes sense. Stories of anorisis happen multiple times in Scripture, whether it be Peter or Paul. But the point of it all is it was when folks entered into an active relationship with Jesus and invited him into their daily lives that they come to know him in new ways and their eyes are opened. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of going around not understanding what God is up to in my life. And there are certainly moments when God is like, just wait and be patient. But then there are moments where I believe God wants us to have a clue. I don't want to be clueless if I'm not supposed to be. But I'll remain clueless as long as I separate the word from my everyday life. I'll be clueless as long as I separate his scripture and my Bible study from what I do on a regular everyday basis. And when I do that, when I decide I'm going to allow these two things to come together, I get a spark and an explosion and the lawnmower goes and my life is open and my vision is clear and I'm never ever the same. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand for a moment. I'm going to prepare to give us our benediction. Um, there are a few announcements I'll make first. One is that if you want to connect with Northland, if you want to get to know more about the church, about the people here, uh, there are folks out in the foyer wearing orange lanyards. They'd love to talk with you. They love to get to know you, to find out who you are, what you're about, um, and share with you something about Northland. Um, if you need prayer for anything, there'll be a prayer team right here at the front of the stage. They would love to pray with you. You don't have to go home with the burden that you came in with. Um, thirdly, if you are interested in participating in the On the Road study, it's not too late. You can still get the materials in the foyer or online. Um, we'd love for you to join us in this, in this walk. Walking together through scripture, that's inviting them in. That's inviting them in. Taking the scripture in and then saying, God, can you walk with me through this? And lastly, as, uh, as Pete mentioned earlier, May 20th in the Hub uh, will be the Belong Seminar. If you're interested in becoming a member of Northland or just want to know what that even looks like, what that means, we invite you to come on May the 20th to that, to that, uh, that seminar. Amen? Amen. As we all remain standing... Let's go out with this benediction. Lord, we invite you in. Even as we walk to our cars and get in our cars and head home, and as we interact in our home and in our community, we invite you into our everyday lives. We ask you, Lord, if you would not just be an inconsequential guest, but that if you would have your way, have your way in our lives. 
and we know that you will open our eyes and will forever be changed. Now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, amen, amen.